And we are live with our 51st episode of Absolute Absec. I'm Ken Johnson at CK Tricky on Twitter, joined by my co-host, my lovely co-host, Seth Law at Seth Law on Twitter. I'm I'm lovely today. Wow, I'm 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 feeling so such such warmth in my heart, Ken. Right for the elegant you know, from and lovely the love, Seth. right? Yeah, the <laughs> elegant and love something like that in my baseball cap and my B side shirt. Yep, that's it. Graceful lovely. like a dove. Wow, I don't know if I'd go that far. Right. Um, thanks for joining us once again uh, today. We've got Jessica Ryan with us. Uh, I met Jessica on Twitter, and we'll do proper introductions here shortly. Uh, she's been a you know great resource or a great community person to know, so we're excited to have her. Uh, outside of that, we've got um, AppSec Global coming up in Tel Aviv at the end of May. If you haven't heard, uh, we will be teaching our uh, How to Secure Code Review course. Uh, right, Seth and Ken's Excellent Adventures in Secure Code Review. It's a really long title, but it's a lot of fun. Um, and Ken's headed to LocoMocoSec shortly. I don't really have anything else on my calendar outside of local meetups uh, in Salt Lake City, but I think that's everything from an administrative standpoint. Ken, you got anything else? Yeah, one of these days I'm actually gonna ship those t-shirts. I owe some people some t-shirts and I think this weekend, all jokes aside, I'm gonna get it together. I'm gonna get it together. I'm gonna go down to the post office like a big boy and I'm gonna like (laughs) mail this stuff out and be a responsible adult. But um, maybe. Okay, maybe. <laughs> That's maybe. the maybe. Yeah, maybe. I'm leaning maybe. towards yes, but definitely maybe. Just just depends on how you feel, right? Yeah, I yeah, can. yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm yeah. sorry for those that like are waiting for their t-shirts. So. Yeah, you you can you can track him down. I'll send you his his address if anybody wants it, and you can just you know threaten him or or whatever you want to do. I um, yeah. I guess I probably shouldn't encourage people online to threaten you, Ken. That's probably not not good form. I don't least. care. I, like, <laughs> okay, you, you, you heard it from Ken. Um, I'm not all right. about online threats. Okay. So today's AppSec Minute, we're still working our way through the top 10 web hacking techniques of 2018 from Portswigger, the creators of Burp Suite and Burp Suite Professional. Uh, number seven on their list is a technique to exploit XXE with local DTD files. Um, and I'll go ahead and post this link up, or you know, can you can as well. Uh, you can find it yeah, on the it YouTube up. page or on um, in our AppSec or our, uh, yeah, Absolute AppSec Slack channel. Um, Ken, are, you're familiar with XXE, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so XXE, for those of you that haven't dealt with it before, it's basically XML injection, right? Being able to, so XXE stands for external entity, is that what it is? Crap, like I just totally yeah, spaced like, on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was have, bad of me. Absolute we're super professional. Dang it, we're super, super prepared. XML, yeah, it's X, XML entity yeah. extraction, something External like that. External entity processing, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So basically what happens is uh, you can embed, so it's XML injection is really what it boils down to. You can embed XML inside of an XML request like to a SOAP parser or an XML parser inside of a web application. 
and get that XML parser to actually retrieve files or you know expand entities within the context of the XML parser. So the common one is to do like a system call to file Etsy password and retrieve that back. Uh, now, the interesting thing is sometimes that gets blocked, right? Because it's a, you know, it's like an external um, XML request. So the way that the parser actually uh, looks at the XML is it's dangerous and so it won't actually process any of the, the malicious XML that you include in there. So the novel technique from this, uh, from this exploit, from this, you know, technique is actually to call a local XML uh, file, because yeah, you can enumerate that pretty easily based on the positive negative response you get back from the XML parser, and then include entities within your XML that you're sending to them to actually call that DTD that is being parsed and you know loop that in. So it's XML injection using the DTD that's actually local on the machine as opposed to one that's coming from an exter external resource. Uh, and that's really all the technique is, is they've just encapsulated their XML injection within um, the local request. They're calling a local file that they then reference the file that they're passing in. So it still is very much a, hey, if you're doing XML parsing, this can still be dangerous, even though you said, I don't want to parse anything that's that's not local to my current system. Um, but they figured, basically they figured out a way around that because you do have those DTDs that are, that are uh, those document text descriptors, right? That are uh, that are located on the local host when you have XML parsing. So, like, it, it's not necessarily. I, I mean, it's a cool technique, uh, but it, we don't see that in a lot of web applications, right? I mean, Ken, how, when was the last time you ran into XML? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, exactly. Like, I don't see a whole lot unless there's a specific reason for parsing XML. I don't see a whole lot of like. Um, yeah, I just don't see a whole lot of it, and. I mean, I see a lot of CSV parsing and, uh, you know, handling just file files in general, um, parsing contents of files. But yeah, in terms of like XML, don't see a ton of it. But I do feel like this is, I do feel like this is something that could bite you just based off of like the fact, like this, you know, we talk about the supply chain attacks. I do feel like this is something that could, could be in like a library that you um, included in your application. Um, and maybe it's, it's handling, I don't know. I think, I think it could be possible accidentally to introduce this vulnerability, um, through like, uh, insecure libraries, but yeah. So some, some of, sort of middleware. I, I mean, yeah. Jess, you've been, you've been doing some web app testing, you know, when was the last time you ran into XXE or even just like XML parsing in general? Um, hi everyone, by the way. Um, so and we will I properly mean, introduce you. <laughs> it's fine. Um, yeah, I see it quite a bit, like maybe once a month, but I think it really depends on what applications you're testing and yeah. kind of like what that what languages they're using and what infrastructure they have. Um, because I've definitely had like six months where I've not seen any XML at all. And then I've had like a week where I've seen loads of it. So Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely feel like it's, it's more common in like the .NET Java frameworks, right? The old SOAP, SOAP UI stuff for sure. Um, like I always like refer to the new hipster languages, right? Your 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 starts with Rails, and we've got Elixir, even though Erlang's blah, really old. Blah blah blah. blah. 
yeah, yeah, I'm old, right? But the new hipster languages, we don't, because we just don't handle anything with XML. It's all JSON, and we don't have the same issues with JSON. But definitely, when I, you know, when I was working at a bank, and we've got all these old applications that were written in the, you know, 90s and early 2000s, it was all well, XML. So I think you're, you're you're probably absolutely right. It depends on the environment you're working with, and you know, I mean, me in the last six months, I just really haven't dealt with any of it. So, so you got to be aware of it. I mean, there's a reason that XXE is in the OWASP top ten, and it is those legacy apps, right? So, cool. Well, go and read that uh, article uh, if you're interested in it. It's a it's a pretty cool technique to actually add to your arsenal if you are running into XML. Uh, or at least reference if you see it, because uh, it may be something that, that would be useful to you doing some sort of penetration test or looking at those applications. Um, good, well then then we'll swing over to actually introducing Jess now that she's already like said something and you know dipped her toe in the water as far <laughs> as the, the podcast goes. Um, I met Jess uh, for the first time we were arguing before the podcast started, I met her about uh, three years ago, she, her and her husband Gabe actually came to uh, B-Side Salt Lake City. Um, you know, and I like I was always telling people like I've got this meme of how like you know, you were excited to come and you're like, yay, it's great, but I just really can't see you as anything but the dad from Mr. Robot and put up my like <laughs> Twitter image and so that's how I introduced myself as not the dad from Mr. Robot now. So. <laughs> So, so I have a right to call people like hipsters. That's all it is. That's, um, but, but Jess has, has done all sorts of stuff. She's pretty active, you know, meme-wise on Twitter. Like I, I think you <laughs> and David Corsi, <laughs> meme-wise. It's like all I do is post memes, like no actual substance, no actual content, just memes. So. Just memes? Just memes. Yeah. Okay. Well, we, we we can label this this episode, you know, XXE and memes, if you want to. I, I mean, that's totally fine. They go hand in hand, right? Yeah, they <laughs> totally do. They totally do. I was going to say, yeah, your your meme game, you and David Corsi, uh, definitely, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah very strong. But... Um, but, I mean, outside of that, you know, we laugh at, you know, uh, your current position, um you you moved you moved recently from New York, right? Uh, you guys were in New York City, and now you're yeah. out west, closer to me, right? Yeah, Colorado, so pretty close. Colorado, so you're up in the mountains. You get it now, right? Yeah, you know, something <laughs> like that. And then you're working for Trusted Sec, correct? Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, yeah. To kind of give an introduction, do you want to just walk through? Uh, you know. Um, what you're doing at Trusted Sec? I mean, obviously you're a security consultant for them, um, and then maybe give us a you know a little background on how you got into application security. That always seems to be uh, something that people are interested in, like the different paths that people take to get in there. Um, yeah. And then we'll go from there. I'm Absolutely. sure we're, we're going to have lots of other questions because that's how we roll. Um. So I guess to start off with, Trusted Sec, awesome company. I'm. Just so happy to be a part of the team. Um, so I guess the best way to describe what I do is I focus entirely on everything web application. So our team is kind of split into different um, categories, so to speak. So we have an entire team that just deals with anything web application, mobile application wise. And uh, we are actually hiring. So <laughs> if you want to, you know, join our team, send over to the Trusted Sec Twitter and 
check it out. But um, I kind of do everything almost from our service line, except mobile applications. I don't really touch those at Trusted Tech just yet. Um, but I mainly focus on web applications. That's like black box tests, white box tests, gray box tests, uh, APIs, web services, all that kind of fun stuff. Just everything that is to do with a website is stuff that I test. Okay. So, yeah, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's definitely like right in the industry, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so would yeah. you say I'm you're doing more dynamic? Oh, I'm sorry. I think, oh, by the way, I'm sorry. I have a little bit of a lag here. I'm, I don't know what's going on with my internet connection. Do you um, do you primarily do you do a mix of dynamic and static, or do you favor one of you know? Is it more of one of the over, over the other? Um, I would say it's mainly dynamic, and the stuff that I mainly do is huge, huge applications with tons and tons of parameters and stuff like that. I'm like pretty good at, I like to say it anyway, I'm pretty good at organizing myself. So if you want some tips with that, I'm good at like keeping track of how far I've tested in an application so far and kind of keeping everything in context is definitely super important. So this, this is yeah, exactly what we that. want. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly why we don't, we don't, I mean, Seth, I don't think we often get the, the opportunity to, to, to talk to somebody who does a lot of, I mean, I think the last person was maybe Jason Haddix, who does a lot of dynamic testing and has like sort of a methodology to keep the test organized and keep on track. So like we definitely need to delve into that during the episode. This is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's and I, like I was going to, you know, talk to it a little bit as well. Maybe, maybe we'll just leave that until after we kind of get through your background, because that's a that's yeah. definitely an interesting topic. Right. And we. <laughs> When we teach our code review course and things like that, you know, I know both Ken and I are like, you know, note taking, note taking, note taking. So you know where you're at, what you've actually tested, what you haven't covered. Like it, it's so important. And yet we don't spend a lot of time talking about it. Right. Like, I mean, just as an industry, it's like, oh, did you pen test that? Or is it a, did you do yeah. a dynamic test? And uh, I mean, scope and coverage is everything anyway. So before trusted sec, like, how did you get into the industry? What is it that you know? Yeah, what spurred you into security? <laughs> um, I can give the whole story if you want. I think a lot of people might sure. be interested in that. So it was Let's probably about. Cause, I mean, because yeah, because obviously you have an accent. You live in Denver, <laughs> and you know, there's got to be some story there. Right? <laughs> okay, throwback <laughs> to six years ago. Um, Obviously, I'm from the UK. Like, I was born in the UK. I've only lived here for three years, so still kind of have the accent like it's kind of there, um, I think. <laughs> so about six years ago, I was doing what is the equivalent of, like, an associate's degree here. So it was a very practical kind of um, programming computer science type stuff, but not really the mathematical heavy side of it, but more of the practical, like, we built games and we used stuff like C-sharp to build games. And we made websites and databases and stuff like that. So it was a very practical course and I really enjoyed it. And it was something that I really seemed to do well at because I'm a very practical person in general. I like seeing results on the screen when I'm doing stuff rather than just like reading a textbook. So we had a cryptography project and this is kind of what spiraled me into the whole thing is I was kind of researching how am I going to do this? I have no idea how 
like what cryptography is or code breaking or any of this stuff. So I'm like Googling like how to do whatever. And I think I came across probably like a rotation cipher or something so stupid. Like it probably wasn't even that. And I'm just thinking, this is the coolest thing I've seen in my life. Like hands down, the coolest thing I've seen in my life. Like code breaking, oh my God, this is amazing. This is what I wanna do with my life. So I, I spent hours on this project um, and it kind of took me on one of those I like to call them Google wormholes, where you kind of start typing one subject and then you end up like somewhere else. So I kind of stumbled into the whole like CTF challenge website area. And I kind of thought, hmm, I have some free time. I can dabble in this. Let's not get too into it. Like computer science is the main goal, right? I don't want to get into this too much. Um, yeah, that, that really happened. So. Um, <laughs> So yeah, I was you know looking on Google and and kind of played some CTFs and I did terribly at them. I'm happy to say that I was a noob. I couldn't even log into some of the CTFs. It's okay. <laughs> you will progress in life, I promise. <laughs> um, so yeah, I I kind of started there, and I knew after a while I was in my first year of my associate's degree, and so when I discovered that stuff, and then in the second year I kind of realized it's time to do applications for my full degree, so my bachelor's degree. Um, so I, I had like this decision to make of what do I wanna specialize in? What school do I wanna go to? Uh, what would be cool? And I ended up choosing King's College London because they have like an awesome, they still have it actually, like an awesome module set for security stuff. And they have a really good security department in general. Like it's only a few people, it's pretty tight knit, but um, everyone there is super smart and really friendly, so definitely say that school is a good choice. Um, and the, the way, just like a primer, I guess the way that education works in the UK is slightly different to the US. Uh, we don't really do degrees with the extra stuff that you have to do, like history or whatever on the side. We literally just do the subject that you're going to study. So you do computer science, you know, you're doing discrete math, you're doing programming, you're doing logic, you're doing AI, you're doing all that fun stuff. So it is a lot of theory um, alongside kind of a tiny bit of practical. And that's where I realized and I learned a lot about myself as a person because I found myself favoring taking part in societies and doing um programming and stuff that was actually like practical stuff outside of the theory in textbooks um and that kind of told me a lot about who i was as a person and what i needed to do to improve in terms of security and stuff like that so i kind of spent a year doing a lot of stuff with kcl tech society which is the king's college london tech society so I haven't spoken about them in a really long time, but the TLDR of them is like, they kind of bridge the gap between doing a lot of theory and programming to teach people in the university about hip languages, like Ruby and stuff like that. And, and like th things that aren't necessarily, you know, um, what you do on a typical degree, like you don't learn about Ruby on, on a degree. Uh, and at least at King's, I don't know now, but we didn't do Python. We really did Java and Java Swing. 
so you can, obviously you can see how I felt about that as well I was kind of having these like oh this is like really old I don't want to I don't really want to do like yeah we're doing mobile apps in Java Swing yay yeah um, that's terrible yeah, like, like, I, exactly like I, I I didn't have any motivation so much to learn that um so that was like a lot of my problem I kind of realized at this point maybe school isn't for me maybe this is not the route that I should be taking because obviously my learning style and it still is to this day very very practical I want to spin up VMs and test out software and stuff like that to try and figure out things so at this point it's pretty obvious I just dropped out of school college dropout crew woo um <laughs> seems like a it seems like a like a trend you know in tech yeah. At least in successful. T no, I mean, yeah, definitely. There's like a high percentage of folks that just like it got to be. Uh, it's like you said, it's, you know, doing more like theoretical, not so like applicable to to like real world, you know. And that's that can be a yeah. disconnect. Like I'm not bashing theory at all because I do spend a ton of time reading documentation. It's like. Honestly, it's one of my favorite things to do. So I do like reading documentation, but at the same time, it's like, for me, it's the difference between um, building a website or reading about artificial intelligence and how it should hypothetically work. And I'm like, for me, I'm not really interested in artificial intelligence anyway, and I'm just gonna be sitting there reading it. So for me, like theoretically speaking, I'm not really inter interested in it. So yeah, so, yeah I dropped out. <laughs> no, that's good. I like, well, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's great that you're, you're still doing stuff. I like, I, I was just going to say that it's like when, when it doesn't necessarily apply to what you're interested in or what you're doing in the moment, it's really hard to get into some of those theoretical books. Right. Um, yeah. Like I, I, I remember, you know, uh, you know, my first job, like I started working, like, I mean, so a similar thing, like the only reason I finished school is because I would like the job that I got, they were like, yeah, it's fine. If you only work, you know, for the first while, like 30 hours a week and you can just take classes in the morning and it's, you know, so it, like I was able to finish it out and it worked out just great. But had they said, guess what, you know, we need you full time. I'm sure I would have been like, and I'm done. Right. Cause it, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like you say, I mean, it, it's all about what you're interested in. And if you're not interested in that particular subject, then you're probably not going to want to read a very heavy textbook about it. And it's just it's just the way people work, mainly. So, it, You know what, to your point, like I was just having this discussion because my, my teacher or not my my, my son's teacher, um, <laughs> he's six years old, basically, you know, like he, he they were like, he has no interest in handwriting and reading. I'm like, well duh like what what six-year-old boy does but anyway so or six-year-old in general but so uh it was like all right cool we ended up getting him this uh there's a computer over here um and installing minecraft on there and with with knowing that that was gonna and sure enough all it took uh like a month later his teacher's like wow i'm seeing some huge improvement and then it like took two or three months and uh, now he's completely exceeded expectations and the whole, like, I don't, you know, I hate to be like, take her thunder away. I don't want to say it, but you know, I'm like, 
it's because because cousin minecraft he had to learn like <laughs> how to do some of this stuff and he cares way more about minecraft than he does like sitting in a class and learning about something he doesn't really understand why he needs to know like so yeah you're right it's, it's how humans work yeah cool so you so you got done with school or you dropped out of yeah school, so and then where'd you go dropped out of school um at this point so this was 2016 i believe at this point and i started at a company called sec one and they're based in leeds and they're super cool people um my experience there was like i was working with some very talented and and witty people in general so i had a lot of fun it was like the first workplace i kind of the first work environment i was in where people had fun and did technical stuff so for me that was kind of like a a light bulb moment of yeah i definitely always want to work for a company where people are friendly and having fun but also really badass in terms of technical stuff so that kind of opened up my eyes to a lot of stuff um and also at sec one it was where i really began to focus on um the importance of like reporting and documenting and how to be very precise um with your write-ups in terms of vulnerabilities and and how to talk to clients and how to explain to different um, levels of people. I don't know how else to say that. Different technical levels of people, like CEOs or CTOs, um, the differences between vulnerabilities and how to remediate them and stuff. So, so what uh, are you yeah. saying about CTOs and CEOs there, Jessica? <laughs> Come on, let's, let's get, get a like. A, how do you really feel about them? That's. You don't know anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so I mean, those are soft skills. I mean, that's certainly that's certainly yeah. important. Uh, what would you say in terms of like, if you could give a few helpful hints to people, like, you know, what what like what you learned uh, from what creates a successful report? Like, just a few um, few things. Honestly, I'd say for me, the most important, and this might not be. The most important thing to other people but for me it's like constantly reevaluating it in terms of context so i want to be thinking like not just taking the cvss score for example because i could rant about cvss for hours um okay. not just taking that and being like yeah this is a, a critical vulnerability like actually thinking well do i have to be authenticated which role am i um kind of what do i have access to in terms of this system and, and kind of really taking everything into context and then also thinking to yourself reading the write-up and being like could someone understand this who is a developer and not necessarily someone who's doing security because that's really important who you're delivering it to is going to read it in a different way to the person who's just writing it who sees like cross-site scripting every day they're not necessarily going to understand it in the same kind of way that we describe it yeah I, I mean so you know ken and i worked together for quite a while right and i like i i still remember getting like my first report from ken right you know i'm sure ken remembers it too because i think i responded sure it, was it was just terrible. like there was just comments after comments like similar to what yeah. you're saying right like and somebody did this to me too right initially when i get in got into consulting and they just like they looked at it and they said you know, this is going to a, you know, a developer and your write up here is good, but you didn't, you didn't think about like business purpose behind this and what the yep. real risk and impact is. Like, 
I get as consultants, like we're trying to turn this stuff out as quickly as possible. But if you don't take that time to actually make that connection, the report comes becomes so much less useful um, mm-hmm. to, you know, to the developers, to the business at large that you're trying. And that's the only thing that they get from you, right? They don't see the hours of work that they, that you pour yeah. in. They see that, that 30 page report that comes in with those vulnerabilities that better be worth the money that they just spent. Um, anyway and it's like with the with the role thing as an example i've seen a lot of write-ups where people don't list like you have to be authenticated as this user to do this and then the developer is going to be like well i'm trying this and i can't make it work like why is this proof of concept not working and it's because you missed out that little detail that is super important and often depending on the role you are that might even bring the severity down so it's definitely something i always Think about over and over again. Yeah, yeah. That's I, something I mean, I've seen time. with bug bounties. Oh, sorry. No, go for it. Bug bounties. I, I was going to say that's the same thing I've seen with bug bounty researchers. Like the um the the basically the 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 better the recommend uh, uh, reproduction steps, the easier it is, and the quicker the whole process sort of becomes. Um, for us, and I think it was I think it was uh, Lee uh leaf that was talking about this uh seth where you know like they had a really they had some write-ups that were just really well documented the rec- the reproduction steps were really well documented and they like even though it was a submitted at the same time as another researcher like, like they gave him some sort of monetary thing just for like how good the write-up was uh i don't know but yeah it's super it's super important to have like really good reproduction steps mm-hmm yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's just in general, good advice, right? You know, hey, you're, you know, the person that's reading that report is not you, right? It's typically not me or Ken, right? It's, you know, it may be the one security guy that's covering AppSec and NetStack and, you know, running the sock for this, this company that you're dealing with. And, you know, if they can't read it, there's, there's no way that they're going to be able to pass it on to their developers or somebody to actually go yeah. fix it. Um, like, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, that, 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 and at that point, that PR process becomes very important. So, I mean, do you peer review other consultants reports then in that, in that case, or, you know, what is your internal process for that? Uh, we do have a lot of like peer review and QA steps. So, yeah, I think definitely for me, the peer review is super helpful because it's nice to have a fresh pair of eyes look over your write up and be like, yeah, this doesn't make any sense, but you've been looking at it for like two weeks. So to you, it's like, it does make sense. But for them, they're seeing it for the first time. It's really valuable to kind of get their insight and for them to be like, yeah, I don't think this is good enough or or, this isn't clear enough or you missed out this part or, you know, did a good job. That's always nice to hear. So. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it's mainly that, right? You know. Yeah, you yeah. Get... Oh, oh my god! Like, actually, I'm the worst person for judging myself based on how many comments I have when the report comes back. So for me, it's always a goal: like less comments, less comments, less comments, less than ten. Awesome. More than ten. Bad week. <laughs> yeah. what, what, what was I doing that day when I was trying to yeah. write this report? Yeah. <laughs> what was I That's thinking just... when I cited that source? That's like what I always think to myself: like, why do I cite that source? I need to definitely evaluate your sources. That's a good 
good step. Yeah, to well, I, I mean, I always find like, you know, you have your favorite like reference links too, right? You know, you talk yeah. about, I mean, I know you gave that talk at, you know, for, at HackQuest last year, you know, on, you know, the XSS mm. stuff, right? Was that it? Yeah. Or was that B-Sides? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, that was HackQuest. Yeah. That was HackQuest, that's right. Yeah, and that's, but, but you know, when it goes like, cross-site scripting, you know, you're always like, oh, here's the OWASP link for it. And you may have like yeah. one or other, one, one or two other favorites. But I do find that like when I go and read through those at times, it's just like, okay, if they can go and just Google it and that's the first link that comes back, you know, what what sort of value does that, do those provide? Yeah. Right? You know, is it really that? Yeah. Right. Anyway. You know, I think it's, it's like, it's often when I find something really obscure that I've not necessarily come across before and I'm like researching it but because I've researched it so much and I've never seen it before I forget to kind of think about the source that I'm citing and then mm -hmm. it's like I come back to review my stuff and I'm like yeah I can't use stack overflow that's kind of stupid <laughs> uh, I mean the developers are using right? it so why can't you right yeah, um, well, copy paste true true I, I I just feel like you know I have a list of sources that I trust wholeheartedly. Um, OWASP and, you know, Port Swigger, and that's probably it, actually. Um, love you guys. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, that's a good bunch. That's a really yeah. good bunch. I'm trying to think of who else do, do you trust as a rep? Like, I would say anything Node-related, I usually am cool with um, pretty much anything Adam Baldwin's group. Um, which I think that they they ended up getting um, yeah. with uh, was a lift security. So like anything they put out for Node was pretty good. Um, Justin Collins, who uh, everyone knows, I love. Uh, his he's got some good stuff out there for like Ruby and Rails, um, Python. I don't know. I mean, the, the Django docs are pretty great, but beyond that, I'm not sure. Like. Do you use any references for like Python apps, Seth? Anything? Not necessarily. Right. I, I mean, outside of kind of the Django docs, because I I trust that. Like I, I trust the frameworks, mm. right? Like framework documentation for me. Like I, I, yeah, like there's no higher like source than that. Yeah. Or uh, I mean, on the mobile side, you haven't done as much, but on the mobile side, the i the mobile side, the iOS developer docs and the Android developer docs. Like, man, they, they talk about all the security stuff. It's in there. But you know that the developers have never looked at those docs, right? And so it's, it's always nice to be like, yeah, Apple told you that you should do this. You should really do this, right? Uh, you know, that's, yeah. that, that's kind of the highest source yeah, that, that I've found. But, that, but then on, like, the security front on those, OWASP is really – I mean, that's my go-to, right? Just. Yeah. You know, at least I know that's at least somebody somebody else like us has looked at it, right? And it's not just, you know, some Stack Overflow answer. I don't know. Corsi was saying that he, you know, he sent somebody, uh, he's on the on Slack, but he sent one of his devs an answer from St Stack Overflow on how to fix something. And they went to it and then chose chose the answer that didn't actually fix what, you know, they wanted him to, he wanted him to do, right? So I guess there is value there or not. You can confuse people even worse. See, that's a, a good write-up tip, actually. Now you mentioned that is to give a specific remediation if you can is always helpful. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, uh, so, I mean, from a, 
like from a schooling perspective, right? Like, cause you did do computer science in school. Do you feel like mm -hmm. any of that helps your career or is it too theoretical? I feel like it's kind of the stuff I did in my associate's degree where it was more kind of practical, like spinning up websites and, and actually like building stuff. That was definitely very helpful to me because now I can kind of have this programmer's mindset of like trying to build something like what I see on the website and then trying to break it from that from that side. It sometimes gives you a bit more of a an insight into what's going on. Um, and also like code review wise, if I'm looking at code, it's a lot easier to understand what's secure and what's not if you've built some stuff before. Like that's kind of helpful. Um, but in terms of like theory and a lot a lot of the stuff I study, I feel like I don't really use. And that sounds really bad. <laughs> um, like AI, I don't use AI. I did a lot of logic um, courses. And I I can safely say I don't really use, you know, I use logic for my brain, but not like logic symbols uh -huh. and stuff. So yeah, I, can, I think definitely some stuff I did find useful. But I think maybe the skill set in general of like being able to work independently, being able to research stuff independently, being able to figure out um, when everything feels like it's going to just fail epically, being able to sit there for like three hours and figure something out is probably one of the most valuable things that I learned from kind of a school environment. So definitely that kind of side of it, but maybe technically not so much. Okay. No, that, yeah, that's, and that's fair, right? Uh, I mean, I know we, we kind of touched on it earlier, but the whole process of actually conducting a test, right? We've talked a little bit about reporting and what we put into a report, but a lot of those, mm -hmm. those other skills around tracking, like just your work in general, right? I, like, I mean, I, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before, but I've got a I mean, my daughter is 15, right? So she's into high school now. And that's that, that's one of the things that you, you forget that you learn over time is the uh, like study habits and, you know, even being successful in like executing on an assignment or a project is a lot of just time tracking and, you know, mm -hmm. making sure that you're doing what you need to do when you need to do it. That's, there's, there's no magic involved. Um, as much as I would love to be able to to spin up a you know a static analysis tool or a dynamic analysis tool and have it find everything and then generate a report and you know have people pay tons of money for that, it's that's just not it's not feasible, right? Um, so I mean, in our course, we talk about like taking notes and like how we do things from a secure code review perspective. Um, what is your general approach to that? I mean, how is it that you track your I mean, your assessments in general. Um, okay, so actually, like, this is really good to continue with my origin. I can, like, talk to you more about um, that. So I, I actually, I moved to Gotham Digital Sci Science in 2017 when I relocated to the U.S. Um, and I learned so much about uh, being precise and being thorough and reporting really, really well when I was there. Um, tons of really smart people to kind of learn from and also i think probably the most important thing is the constructive criticism i got 
Um, I definitely had my fair of reports back with like two or three hundred changes. Um, <laughs> it happens. I, I think you know. It, it does happen. Project, it seriously happens. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, just straight out to anyone up out there who's just starting out and is getting reports back with like three or four hundred changes. It happened to all of us. It all happened. <laughs> um, so that was great. Like they had awesome internal methodologies and stuff. And it kind of taught me how to really use a spreadsheet very well, um, document everything. I kind of like, the way I like to do it is have the specific types of assessments, the things I wanna test, and then kind of the outcome and the notes I've got about that. But I also find it's kind of a hard, um, it's a hard thing to judge. Do you want to take more notes or do you want to test more so learning kind of feeling out when you want to write a note and when you don't is like super important for me because i feel like if i would sit there and write down every single thing i did that could take an extra 30 hours that's like you know another week essentially of on on the job um but knowing like not only what vulnerabilities to pursue that you think might exist but also you know when to give up or when to just write, tried this, didn't work, um, rather than saying, tried this on XYZ, tried this on, as this user on XYZ. Like the level of note taking, I think, is very important in terms of uh, productivity. So, yeah. yeah, it's it's a fine balance to walk, right? Um, you know, I, I and it, like I haven't necessarily thought about it in that in that context before. So this is good, like even just like self reflection, right? But it's like I do find that I know what it means, right? In the notes, for sure. And and a lot of times I couldn't hand that to someone else and, and have them understand what actually happened, right? Like because I mean, in an assessment in general, like that, you know, we always talk about like there's three things you do: like your information gathering, your mm -hmm. you know vulnerability discovery, and then your reporting. And they mesh together, but in that like mapping information discovery phase. Like I, I know I do tons and tons of notes and maps and like points and things like that. But then as I'm getting into the vulnerability discovery, it's, I leave a lot of that out. I know I do. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm not saying, Hey, I tested this endpoint for XSS and insecure direct object yeah. reference. It's like, okay, I know that I have to do that. And so I use that as a map for my activity, but I don't necessarily go back and do it like a checklist style. Yeah. Um, just from a speed perspective. And I think that that's probably just, you know, we, we learn that over time, right? Yeah, I think it, it really depends on what I'm testing. So if I'm testing something with like 2000 parameters, at that point, it's like, you don't want to just dive in and test like here and there random things. At that point, you kind of want to know, like, have I tested every single parameter for this? Have I done this? If I looked at this, like I want to kind of track and make sure my progress is kind of in the right place that I want to be um, but also I mean at the same time I don't tend to do a lot of reporting at the end I mainly make my write-ups so detailed when I'm testing that they're pretty much almost already in report format so yeah. I guess that saves me a lot of time I don't take out like an entire day on a week assessment for example to just do reporting I'll use that the remaining time that I've got to test more things. Um, that, but I guess that's just the way I like to do it. Um, I feel like it's more efficient for me 
to switch tasks like that. I'm not, I know a lot of my coworkers find it hard to break out of testing to report. But for me, it's like the opposite. I, I will happily break away from the testing to report that thing I just found and then go back to testing. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, I think, I mean, I, I have the tendency to do like, you know, the fur, full formal report at the end, but I do like, as I find something like my notes are generally like, it, it's, it may be a little informal, but at the same time, it's, it's enough that I can just copy paste, you know, make sure and capitalize and rework it and throw it into mm-hmm. the report so that I don't have quite as much work to do at the end that, you know, so it's almost like it's, it's almost self-documented, I guess. Um yeah in my notes as opposed to in the formal report. So are you actually filling out the, like your formal report as you move along? Um, I would say pretty much, but that's just like a personal preference. And I know so many people who do it the other way with the report at the end. Um, but for me, I find that I forget to add certain details if I wait till the end and then it ends up taking me twice as long because I go back to get like requests and stuff and I'm trying to find something and burp and my burp's like 30, 40,000 requests long three days later and I'm trying to find this one thing. So for me, it's like getting that right up together at once is a lot better than waiting to the end because I just have all the stuff there ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I- and that, you know, that's, a, that, a, I mean, that's how you're. Is Seth paused or? I think he's dropped. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll hit him up because I'm wondering where he was going with that. I'm not actually sure. <laughs> I was trying to figure out if he dropped or if um, it was me. So. Yeah, I was wondering the same thing. I'm like, hey, is that me? <laughs> Seth, are you back? No. No, he's... <laughs> <laughs> hey, just, he looks very... He's like, mm, he I'm looks, not sure what... Yeah, he looks like he's contemplating something. <laughs> there he is. Oh, I'm trying to hit him up, see what happened. All right. Not sure what's going on. Um, We'll give him just a few more seconds. Sorry about that. This happens sometimes. I thought it was my connection because I've been having issues. My my connection has been really spotty tonight. That's why I've been kind of quiet is because I keep coming up and coming down and I'm trying to figure out what's going on. So I really did assume it was myself. Looks like he's back. Hey, sorry about that. I don't know what happened. No, I know what happened. I'm Comcast is what happens. Oh, Comcast. How much of my rant did you hear? Probably not a lot. Like none. (laughs) None, none really. Oh, man. It was a good one, too. Dang it. Um, Not again. We want to hear. Back to it, yeah. We were very intrigued. (laughs) <laughs> Let's see. Uh, um, no, no. Okay. So I was talking about notes, like in discipline, right? Uh, you know, as you're documenting a finding, you know, I've been in that situation, exactly what you're saying before, right? I leave all the reporting to the end. And I, I notice I get, I'm going through my notes and the report and I'm like, hey, I found XSS here, right? And I'm like, wait, I don't have a screenshot. 
I don't have like a write-up of exactly how I executed it. And all of a sudden I have to retest, mm -hmm. right? I have to spend another, you know, hour to two hours to actually document what I did. I, like, I, I mean, is that the situation you found yourself in before? Yes. I, I mean, I, I really try and avoid it um, by doing the reporting as I go along. <laughs> um, mainly because like, like I said earlier, a lot of the stuff I test is huge, huge applications. And um, it's very, very easy to look back two weeks later and have no idea where that request was that you sent once. So definitely for me, it's something that's like a priority because I don't want to end up spending another week doing all the stuff that I didn't document the first time around. Yeah. Yeah, because then that's on you, right? Like, you know, there's only so mm. much time that you have for any assessment. Exactly. I don't know. Like, kind of my rule of thumb with both my notes and my um, my report is, okay, Seth in six months is going to get asked by the client, wait, how did this happen, right? Because yeah. they finally it finally made it to the developer. And I don't remember, like, two weeks after, right? I'm like, oh, uh, yeah, I found that. And so I've got to pull it up, and I've got to be able to reconstruct it from, you know, ideally from what's in the report, right? If, and, but if, mm -hmm. if not that, the notes have to be good enough. And, and sometimes I'll curate a little bit, right? I, I have a tendency to take too many screenshots and put them in my notes, but then I can pick <laughs> out the ones that, they, that, that prove my point in the report, right? Mm-hmm. Anyway, so yeah. that I, I mean, yeah. I, I regarding like the notes thing and the screenshots, I have like spent years trying to figure out the best system for me, and um, I'm literally so pedantic with this now that I have folders for like the project, and then in that I have a folder for the vulnerability, and then in that I have a screenshot for the request, the response, and that's like all pre-highlighted because if I want to highlight something, I make sure I highlight it before I screenshot it. So it's ready, and then like I labeled it like get request for blah blah blah, um, and then I'll have like if it's cross site scripting, I'll have a screenshot of the alert popping up or whatever. So I I kind of I feel you on that front definitely. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we've all been burned in the past, right? With the, I mean, with the with the client coming back and asking, right? Whether that's the developer, whoever, uh, you know. Hey, I have this Jira ticket that I'm finally working on, but I don't quite understand X. And usually it's just like, I don't understand step three in this process. And you're like, was that me? Did I really find that? <laughs> I swear in pen testing, it's like time is a completely different constraint than the regular world. It's like you saw something like a month ago, but it feels like you saw it three or four years ago. I, like no recollection at all of what you did. And you have to sit yeah. there and like look at your notes to figure it out. So you kind of you're not only writing it for yourself, but you're like you're writing it for your future self. <laughs> I have gone back, and this is no joke. I've gone back for like something notes that I wrote up two months ago. I'm like, this sounds right. This all looks good. I don't have any. I do not remember at all doing this assessment at all. I mean, it's just it's just the the steady churn when you're constantly looking at new things like. You've got this little time box window. You have to figure it out. You have to learn it. You have to dig in deep. You have to go through your checklist. And then it's just you try and drink the away the thing. memories. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <Go> <laughs> the next thing. Drink away the memories. All right. We, we see how it is, or Ken. Whatever you yeah. do. Or whatever you do. <laughs> all right. All right. I mean, 
I'm not that extreme, but you know, <laughs> it works the funny thing is, I don't actually really drink, but yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> Whatever. I, like the, the first idea for the name of the podcast was AppSec and Whiskey. So like, I know, yeah. I know. <laughs> I rarely dip into the uh, whiskey these days, but yeah. So you make some good points like about the note taking being for your, um, for your future self. That's absolutely mm-hmm. accurate. Like, and also, cause um, like, do you do, do you keep a, most places make you keep a sort of like all the logs for burp and they, it, basically everything, Yeah. all your, yeah, your testing evidence, but that's actually useful from like a, we've talked about before from like a, 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 a CYA kind of perspective, like, oh, you know, did you test this thing? Well, yeah, I did. Um, here's the proof. Here's the evidence. You know, it was tested. So that's kind of nice from from that yeah. standpoint too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Right. I feel like, oh, sorry. Go go ahead, Jess. I feel like that it's it's like really good to be able to look back on your burp state and see exactly what you did, but at the same time, I feel like that's almost more time consuming to dig back and find that evidence because if you have tons and tons and tons of requests and you're kind of like. You're, you're in a situation where you're like, do I filter? And at that point, sitting there and figuring out what you're going to filter for is like another hour job trying to figure out that. And then it's like, well, is my filter working properly? Or should I just scroll through? Or I have like 4,000 requests to this one URL. Which one is the evidence that I need? Or which five are the evidence I need? So it's like, it's kind of another game of like, okay, how many hours am I going to take out to to prove that I did this kind of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's always the question, right? And I, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, as people get into it, right, that's, I, I don't know if we can, you know, highlight that enough, because it is kind of a learned thing is, you know, hey, how do you, you know, what is the format that you need to actually be able to do that and to do your job effectively over time? Um uh, I don't know. I, I mean, I've seen so many reports come out of consultancies that you you can tell. Number one, they were either they you know they may not have been a developer at any point in their life, or number mm-hmm. two, they just hey, it's just a dump straight out of Burp or out of you know Nessus oh, yeah. or something else. And it's I, I'm like, okay, this is a compliance check. I understand that, but don't you want to add at least a little more value or take a little bit of pride in what you're trying to present to the client? Um, I bet, you know, teach his own, I guess on that one. Yeah. Yeah. I think it definitely uh, depends on um, each person finding their own testing style. I think every pen tester kind of to have the most efficient team, you kind of need to let them to some extent test the way that they are most efficient in testing. And not everyone is going to test the same way um, as efficiently. Like, for example, with me, I try and write the report as I go along. But I know plenty of people who just do it the other way where they write the report at the end. Um, Some people like to dive in with certain vulnerabilities first. Some people like to follow a list. So, like, it really depends on what you feel works best for you. And I think that's only something you can learn over time and just years of sitting there and doing pen tests. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I also feel like, like, 
you can't give up, right? Like, and I think that's the whole like point of the tests and like that comic about like what the pen testing like scope feels like, um, or you know, activity feels like is it's not an easy process and people forget how actually like creative it is because you do feel like you're solving this, you know, this unsolvable puzzle at times. So there's, it's great when you get that dopamine hit and you find SQL injection or cross-site scripting and get it to fire for the first time. Um, and it gives you more energy to do the rest. But at the same time, just being able to follow that, that list of, this is what I do and I do it every time and it yields results. Uh, figuring out what that is for you is so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have one question. Uh, I have one question regarding the, um, like the one, the, what's the most prevalent, um, like high severity finding that you come across and what is the most prevalent doesn't matter what classification finding you come across. Like, We'll say other than high, right? Medium, low, whatever. Um, Best practice, whatever the case is. Honestly, I'd probably say for me, it's like a combination of, it's probably a tie between cross-site scripting and SQL injection. I see those quite a lot, um, but I think I'm also very lucky in that I, lately I've been testing a lot of apps that have that kind of stuff, um, that are vulnerable to that kind of stuff. Whereas I've had definitely dry spells, so to speak, where I've had like six months of stuff that's been tested over and over again every year for like the last 10 years and I can't find anything at all. So um, it's definitely, I'd say probably cross-site scripting is more common for me to find. Um, and in general, maybe like, content security policy headers that are deprecated and haven't changed to anything else is like yeah i was something pretty curious how often you actually even see csp implemented Not, i mean yeah to follow uh, up. i've seen it i've seen it implemented once and like once perfectly um the rest of the times it's been like not perfect but once it was implemented perfectly and i was like i actually had to call the client up and be like i just want to say thank you I've never seen this before in the wild, like done perfectly. And I have so much appreciation for you right now. So. You're the gold star, you deserve it. That's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. No, that's that, that's interesting, right? Like, I, I know like over the course of like all the years that I've been doing this, you know, like three, I think that's it. Um, I like the SQL injection stuff is, uh, like I don't see it near as much as I did right back when I worked for the bank. Like it seemed like every mm -hmm. application you would find it and it would be systemic, right? Every single parameter. Um, nowadays when I do find it, it's usually like one or two instances in this one portion of the application that maybe the code was older or somebody didn't understand what they were doing, but it's like the frameworks have definitely slimmed that down. Cross-site scripting mm -hmm. on the other hand, you know, I, I, I still find quite often, um, and again, but again, it goes to the mix of apps that you're testing, right? Those those larger applications, I'm sure, probably, you know, you're probably looking at years of development effort there, right? Yeah. I, say, I think my experience a lot of the time is that they do tend to, clients and companies do tend to follow 
developers, I, I should probably say, tend to follow a process internally. Um, you know, hopefully that's parameterized queries, for example. Um, and often when SQL injection is found, it's usually an edge case where it's like something that's been added on um, recently or within the last few iterations of, of development. And it's like, for some reason, it's not following the standard procedures. So that's kind of where I see it more often. Um, but I can totally see that it would be on a lot of legacy code as well, because, you know, the procedures weren't necessarily as spoken about. Yeah. No, and that totally makes sense. Um, yeah. Okay. So um, j just fair warning. I, I only have a couple more minutes and then I got, I've got a hard stop tonight because of the kids and I'm like, ah, oh, crap. Like we've already gone for an hour, Jess. Like I was telling you, yeah. it goes so quickly and we just have barely like touched the surface. Um, so but be before we like kind of start to wrap things up, like what, what, what advice do you have for someone that's getting into application security? Um, I think from my perspective, I literally say that everyone should do practical stuff. So download vulnerable VMs and hack away on them like every night and just learn practical stuff because those skills are like what is important. And you can be terrible at like writing reports and spelling and grammar. You can be so bad at that. But if you can like document what you did and put it into some kind of thing that's readable, then it's kind of like you're made. Someone else can fix your report or you can learn how to do grammar, but it's harder to be good at grammar and learn how to do hacking. Like it's hard the other way around, if that makes sense. No, that, yeah, that's good advice. I mean, and that's kind of the path that you followed with the CTFs and, you know, yeah, you exactly. out, yeah, you figure out the process first and then, you know, and then you move into, okay, so how does this look as an actual like professional? Um, yeah, and definitely something that's super important is to kind of learn the other side of it, learn how to remediate these things as well and like learn and understand why they're vulnerable. Like don't just learn how to exploit SQL injection, learn why it's vulnerable, learn how to fix that because those are like the major components you're gonna to need to help clients improve their infrastructures. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's great advice. That's great advice, right? You know, just being able to actually get, communicate with the people that are gonna be reviewing your findings, right? Um, mm -hmm. if, if they don't understand it, no one does and nothing will get done, nothing will get better. I, yeah. I mean, we all have horror stories about, hey, we came back a year later, tested the same application and wrote the same report again and they paid us again, oh, yeah. yay. That's not very fun. Yeah. Um, cool, well, it, it, yeah, I, I mean, I, again, I apologize that like I do have a, a you know hard stop, but it, I mean, is there anything else that you want to you know, communicate or um, share right I now? I think that's it, I mean, I guess, the one thing will be we are hiring at Twisted Sec right now. So if you are interested in applying, you can go over to our Twitter and there are like links everywhere for various jobs. I think we're hiring in on my team. So the web app team, uh, we're hiring red teamers and we're also hiring for incident response. So, cool. Yeah. 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 If people are interested for sure, uh, you know, trustedsec.net or .com, I think it is. Uh, .com. Uh, yeah. .com. It should be on my Twitter though. And I did put it on the YouTube, um, the YouTube chat and the Slack chat. Okay. 
Yep. And then, I mean, it's a, that's a great company, right? That's uh, Dave Kennedy started that one, right? That's, mm -hmm. and you know, he does all sorts of stuff. If you don't know Dave, you should go look him up. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's, I mean, it's great to have you in, on, you know, in the Western U S right. There, there needs to be more yeah, of us oh, growing or growing this side. Um, but uh, Jessica, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, is there any, thank are there any conferences you. that you're going to be at, you know, in the future uh, or where can people communicate with you? I haven't confirmed what I'm going to attend this year yet, um, but I think I will probably be at DEF CON, okay. hopefully. Um, providing nothing else comes up, then I'll be good for that. But you know, just reach out on Twitter if you have any questions or want advice or something, just feel free to mention me. So, okay. yeah. Great. Great, <laughs> thank well, you. Thanks, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Um, Ken, I don't, I don't know if we've got anything else that we need to mention for tonight or for today. No, I think we're, no, I think we're good. Okay. Um, yeah, find us on Twitter. Find us on, you know, join the Slack channel if you can. Um, and, you know, uh, Jess, we're, we're going to have to have you back on because obviously we didn't yeah. get through enough and that, that hour went Most by way to too quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We definitely appreciate it, though, Maybe next for sure. Year. <laughs> yeah, maybe next year or you know six months down the yeah. road or so we, we we can do something again right you know. maybe in another three years right <laughs> yeah there you go That's exactly <laughs> sweet well yeah the uh the audio and video will get posted um later tonight or first thing tomorrow morning and yeah but again we appreciate it uh thanks everyone for joining us today and uh, we'll we'll see you all next week Thanks, everyone. Bye.